0: Well, there's a short story. that uh, was written by actually the um, same uh, person that wrote The Little Mermaid. And the story goes something like this. There was once an emperor years ago, and this emperor loved clothes. Uh, he didn't care about inspecting his military. He didn't care about the granaries. All he cared about was his clothes. And each day he would change his clothes multiple times. And whereas most kings, they would say, was in his council... For this king they said he was in his changing quarters. Well one day these two weavers came to town and these two weavers were charlatans but they claimed that they had this special kind of clothing and when they wove this special kind of clothing people who were unwise or who were unfit for their duties were not able to see this clothing. So the king was very excited about this. He gave them a bunch of money to start this project. And they went to the looms and pretended like they were working on clothing. The king brought them fine gold silk, the finest linen in all of the country. But instead of using that, they put that in their own coffers and kept that for themselves. But each night, they would go to the looms and pretend like they were working, moving their hands, moving the looms, but there was nothing there. After some time, the king thought to himself, I I better go see how these weavers are doing. But he thought to himself, so what if I go and I don't see something? So he thought it would be best to send one of his servants first. So he sent his trusted wise servant to see these weavers, to see how it was going. And so this wise servant went there. And he looked, and he didn't see anything. But the weavers asked him, so do you like it? They showed him the beautiful colors. And so he thought to himself, is it possible that I could be a fool? Or is it possible that I could be unfit for my duty? And so he thought to himself, there's no way I can let the emperor know about this. One of the weavers said, Well, sir, you do not say whether the cloth pleases you. The servant said, Oh, it is excellent this pattern and the colors. Yes, I will tell the emperor without delay how beautiful I think they are. The thieves said, we shall be much obliged to you. They went on to describe the many intricate colors and details of this clothing. And the old wise man listened and looked at this empty loom. And then he went back and told the king how beautiful the clothing was. After the course of time, the The king thought he'd send another servant to check on the progress. Another servant went and the same exact thing happened. The the, The weaver said to him, Does not the stuff appear beautiful to you as it does to the Lord, the wise man? This man thought, well, I'm certainly not stupid. I must be unfit for my duty. But the king can never find out about this. So he praised the clothing. He declared how happy he was with the colors and the patterns. And he said the cloth which the weavers are preparing is extraordinarily magnificent. And he went back and told the king. After a little more time the king himself thought to himself, I should go and see how the weavers are doing. I should get a glimpse of this beautiful clothing. And so he went with his two servants and a number of attendants to see the clothing. They found the weavers once again pretending to work as they had done each and every night. But the king, to his dismay, didn't see anything. And he thought to himself, Oh, this is a terrible predicament. I must be either unwise or unfit for my post because my two servants saw this, these, these clothing pieces of clothing and I don't see it. And so he thought to himself, I must not let people find out about this. So he told the weavers, Oh, this cloth is charming. I approve of it completely. He smiled graciously and looked at the empty looms. And everybody and all of his attendants said, Oh, how beautiful the clothing is. After a little bit more time, it came time for the clothing to be done, or so the weavers said. And so the king came and the weavers pretended to cut the clothing in the air, doing the final alterations to the clothing. And then they said to him, Do you want us to help you put this clothing on? So the king undressed down to his underwear, and the weavers came around him and pretended to cinch up his belt and pretended to put trousers on him. And then his attendants pretended to carry the train of his robe, and everyone said how beautiful it was. And so it came time for him to go on a parade through the city. The whole city was in an uproar because of this beautiful clothing. And so the king goes through the the city gates, through the streets of the city, and everyone exclaimed how beautiful and wonderful this clothing was, even though no one could see it, because they didn't want to appear unwise or unfit for their duty. Finally, a child cried out, oh, but the emperor, he doesn't have any clothes on. The father said, listen to the voice of this child. The child what the child said, whispered from one person to another. And finally, there was an uproar, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. The emperor knew it was true, but at this point, it was too late. At this point, he just decided it was better to keep going. So his, cha- his attendants took greater pains than ever to carry the train of his robe, although there was nothing, indeed, to hold on to, as the king walked through the gates of the city in his underwear. Who would you describe in this story as being trustworthy, reliable? I don't think you could really trust anyone except for the child. The attendants, the king's servants, the king himself, they weren't able to say something that was true because they thought it would make them look foolish or unfit for their duty. I think that we all have a dangerous tendency to do the exact same thing to tell others what they want to hear rather than the truth. We may have a tendency to make promises, to make, to make ourselves look good in the eyes of others, even though we never really intend to keep those promises. Maybe we overcommit ourselves. We say yes to everything, knowing that we can't possibly do everything, but we say yes to everything because we don't want to say no, and we don't want to look foolish in the eyes of others. All in the name of keeping up appearances. What does this look like? A friend comes to you, asks for advice. Rather than telling the truth, you just tell them what they want to hear. You affirm what they're doing, whether it's right or wrong. We tell someone, I'm praying for you. And maybe we don't do it maliciously, but rather than taking the time to actually commit to praying for them, we forget about it. We put it to the back of our mind. We tell someone, I'll call you next week, but we never do. We tell someone, we, we should get together soon, but then we never do and we don't even necessarily have an intention to even do so. It's promising our boss that the project will be done next week, when we know it won't be done until next month or next year. I believe that this kind of lack of reliability or trustworthiness is rampant in our culture. One Canadian business business writer puts it this way, he says when did we all stop having the common decency to do what we said we would do, by when we said we would do it? You may not agree with me, but when someone says to me, I'll call you back on Thursday for sure, I don't expect them to call. At best, I would say I have a 10% chance they will get back to me. Same goes for emails. I'll promise I'll get you the details by noon Tuesday means I'll forget about this call the second I put down the phone, and you'll have to call me several times before I'll actually remember to do what I just promised. Have you noticed in the last few years, doctors, dentists, hairstylists all call you the day before your appointment and say something like, Dr. Smith is looking forward to seeing you tomorrow at 10 a.m.? They never used to do that, so are they just being super polite in this new age of positively outrageous customer service? not on your life. It's because we've all become so incredibly unreliable and no-shows cost money. Unreliability is endemic in today's business world. That's a big statement, I know, but nevertheless true. I experience it in my business dealings Canada-wide. People simply don't deliver. It's like they just don't care that it's not important to them to be on time to deliver or even be polite anymore. We live in a culture where reliability and trustworthiness are hard to find. And we're not talking about uh, simply forgetting something or misplacing something. We're talking about a pattern uh, or a lifestyle of unreliability and untrustworthiness. But while it's happening in our day, it was also happening in Jesus' day. It was happening during this time, and that's, I believe, what Jesus is addressing in this passage. In the ancient world, people would often enter into oaths. And They would enter into oaths. They would often call down God as a witness, especially in the Old Testament. They would call down God as a witness. In other words, if you were making a promise to God or to someone else, you were saying, I'm calling God as a witness. May God hold me accountable if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain. And We see this throughout the Old Testament, but when we get to Jesus' day, we see this kind of watered down quite a bit. We see people who want to make commitments or oaths, they want people to believe them, but they know that they might not necessarily keep those commitments. And so rather than swearing or making an oath to God, they'll swear or make an oath to heaven or the earth or their own head. And they think to themselves, well, if I swear to these things, if I break my commitment, if I break my oath, it's not such a big deal. If I break my oath before God, it's a huge deal. And so they started making these oaths that they knew that they were going to possibly break. And so they made these lesser oaths. Jesus says, you've heard of old that it was said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That's kind of the teaching of the Old Testament. The teaching is that if you make an oath, you need to fulfill that oath. You need to honor the oath that you made to either God or to other people. But Jesus takes it a little bit, a step further, and he says, but I tell you, do not take an oath at all. Now I remember reading this years ago, and I thought to myself, so what happens if I go to court for whatever reason, and they ask me to swear on the Bible, so help me God that I'm going to tell the truth, so what should I do? I mean, if I refuse, then they're going to be like, so you're not going to tell the truth, but if I swear, then it says, do not make an oath. Do not swear before heaven or before earth. So what should I do here? Well, I think I was misunderstanding this passage a little bit. I don't think that Jesus is saying that all oaths are evil or that any oath that we, that we shouldn't enter into any oath at any time. And the reason I don't think that is because in the Old Testament, the one who enters into oaths the most, or the one who at least it's recorded that he entered into oaths, is God himself. God entered oaths. He swore by himself that he would keep his promises. Genesis 26, God tells Isaac this, just as an example, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. So the oath that God gave to Abraham, that he would make him a great nation, that he would give him a land. That's kind of a foundational point of the whole Old Testament. So I don't think Jesus is saying oaths in and of themselves are wrong. We also see, even in our day and age, where we have oaths that are formal engagements like a marriage. When you get married, you're entering into an oath. You're calling God as a witness to keep you accountable to a certain set of promises that you make to another person. So I don't think Jesus is saying that oaths are completely wrong and bad. But why does he say that then? Why does he say, I say to you, do not take an oath at all? When you think about swearing oaths, I believe that oaths in the Old Testament and even up to Jesus' day, they were supposed to be kind of semi-rare events. You might enter into a special business dealing or into a marriage. They weren't something that you would enter into every single day. Think about it this way. Let's say a man makes a vow on his wedding day. On that day, he promises to be faithful to his new spouse. But imagine 10 years later, after they've been married, he promises to his wife, I swear to God, I will never be unfaithful to you. I swear that I will always be faithful to you to death do us part. I will never cheat on you. Now, if that happens 10 years into a marriage, what does that probably indicate? Probably indicates that he has been unfaithful. Because if he has to make that promise and that full commitment again, and it's different than kind of reaffirming, hey, I love you. I'll always be there for you. If he has to promise, I'm never going to cheat on you. I'll always be faithful to you. He probably has been unfaithful before. I have a friend who doesn't go to this church, so don't try to figure out who it is. <laughs> I wouldn't say it if they went to this church. But this friend likes to borrow things from me and not return them. He'll return them, but I have to kind of beg him and text him like 100 times before he returns them. And then when he does return them, it's like half broken sometimes. And so every time he borrows something from me, I make this resolution, that's it. I can't let him borrow anything from me anymore. But inevitably, he gets into a bind, and then he calls, up, hey, I need this or that. Is there any way you can help me out? And I don't want to say no, so I'm like, okay. The last time this happened, a couple weeks ago, he wanted to borrow uh, something from me. And I was like, okay, but you got to promise that you're going to bring him back, like, right away after you're done, because I don't want to have to beg and you know, text you a hundred times to get these, these things back. And he said, okay, I promise I'll do that. Of course, he never did. But the thing is, if he didn't have that history of being unreliable or untrustworthy, I would never have to make him make that promise. I would just say, hey, return him when you're done. No problem. But because he was unreliable, because he was unfaithful, I had to have him make that promise that he was going to bring it back. And of course he didn't. I think that gets to what Jesus' point is here. You shouldn't have to make promises for people to believe you. You shouldn't have to make all these oaths and swear before heaven, swear before earth, swear swear to your head, swear to God for people to believe you. Honesty, trustworthiness should permeate all that we do. And so Jesus says, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. People should be able to believe you. You shouldn't have to make an oath. People shouldn't question you because of the way you live your life. I think this passage teaches us that integrity is about being trustworthy in the small things. Integrity is about being trustworthy in the small things. See, integrity is not just about being faithful on our wedding day to our wedding vows. It's when we tell our spouse that we're going to do something, we actually do it. Integrity is not just about paying a loan back when we borrow money for a car, or borrow $10,000, whatever. It's also about paying back our friend who loaned us $20. Integrity is not just about being for our friend when they're in the hospital and they're at their wits end and near the end of their life, it's about being there for a friend when they're having a rough week and need to talk to somebody. Integrity is not keeping an appointment just when there's kind of a potential punishment. It's not not about just keeping our appointments if it's an appointment with our boss or someone who could influence us, either help us or could harm our reputation. It's about keeping our commitments with whoever it may be. It's the little things that are important. It's about telling the truth, not about just the big things in life, but also about the little things in our everyday speech. There aren't many people of integrity in our culture. There aren't many people who are faithful when no one is watching, even in the small things. Yet that's what Jesus calls us to do. And if we do that, I believe that the world is longing for people of integrity, people who are trustworthy, people who are reliable. Why do you think that so many salesmen are so effective? Because when someone's selling something, you can always get a hold of them. They'll make an appointment with you. They are on your side. They are very trustworthy and very reliable if they're a good salesman. I believe the world is longing for that reliability, that trustworthiness that integrity. And I believe the reason that we can have that integrity, that we can be faithful in the small things, is because God has been faithful to us. He's been faithful in the big things. He died for us. He rose again. He offers us salvation. But He's also faithful in the little, small details of our life. Imagine if that wasn't the case. Imagine if 1 John 1.9 said, if we confess our sins, He may decide to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You never know. But no, 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful every time and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Imagine Mark 11.24 said, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. And if God is not busy with more important things, he might just happen to answer you. No, that's not what it says. Matthew eleven twenty four 24 says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. What if Romans eight twenty eight said, and we know that for those who love God, some things sometimes work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. It doesn't say that though. Romans 8:28 says, "And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose." Imagine if Matthew 6:33 says, "But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and perhaps God will meet your needs in the end. You never know. Doesn't say that. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We serve a faithful God. We serve a God of integrity who's there for us whenever we call. And we need to be people of integrity to those around us, people who are trustworthy, reliable, honest in all that we say and do. There's a whole story, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a story about a man who went to this with his parents to the stylish London restaurant. And it was a superb meal. It was a beautiful atmosphere, beautiful chandeliers, beautiful uh, silver and crystal on the tables, incredibly elegant. But when the mother's main course arrived, she went to get some salt. She couldn't find any salt. And on the table, there were three salt and pepper shakers, and there's are supposed to be two pepper shakers and one salt shaker. But she went to each and every one of them and they were all pepper and so they told the waiter "They said no it's not possible there has to be two peppers and one salt but then when she insisted and she showed him no they're all pepper he was horrified he went to get her a salt shaker then a little bit later and he profusely apologized. Then a little bit later, it came time for dessert, and the waiter came up to this lady, and she, he said, you know, we've, you've experienced a big inconvenience, and so your dessert is on the house. And they told her, like, this isn't a big deal. It's just a salt shaker. You, you, know, you just had to bring over the salt shaker. It's not a big deal. And he said, with all seriousness, he said, but what if your mother, what if this lady had been the queen? They were focused on the minute details because they knew that those minute details could have a big impact because they never knew who was going to come into this restaurant. And in the same way, our little actions, our little acts of integrity, they can often have big effects, big consequences. The question is, are we faithful with the little things? Are we faithful when no one is watching? Are we faithful when there is no accountability other than between us and between God? We're faithful in those moments. That's what it means to be a person of integrity. That's what the world is longing for. And that's what God is calling us to be. Integrity is about being trustworthy in the small things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you're faithful in all things. That when we call upon you, we don't have to question whether you're listening whether you answer us that you're always there for us that you'll never leave us you'll never forsake us we thank you that you've promised that all things work together for the good of those who loved him love him we thank you that you promise that you'll meet our needs according to your riches in christ jesus we thank you for all of you all that you do and we thank you for your faithfulness to us lord i pray that as followers of jesus we would be people who are people of integrity, that we'd be faithful in the small things, that we would do things that are honoring to you, not just the things that are popular. We know that you haven't told us we have to say yes to everything, but you have told us that we have to be honest to say either yes or no, to follow through with what you've called us to do. Lord, help us to be faithful with those small things. And so to be honoring to you and to show your love to those around us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.